Chapter Ten of Hope and Have Fanny Grant Among the Indians by Oliver Optic. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Ten Good Out of Evil. Peacefully, on what had been her couch of pain, lay the silent form of Jenny. The room resounded with the sobs of the mother and the brother, and hardly less with the wailings of the stranger who, in a few brief hours, had found and lost the truest and best of earthly friends. The darkness gathered, and still they wept. The darkness from which Jenny had fled to the brightness of the eternal world, where there is no night or sorrow. There was woe in that humble abode, while heaven's high arches sang with peons of rejoicing that a ransomed soul had joined the happy bands above. There were no kind and sympathizing friends to go into that hovel and deck the marble form in the vestments of the grave. Fanny was the first to realize that there was something to be done. She was a stranger to such a scene. She knew not what to do, but she told Mrs. Kent that she would go out and obtain assistance. With hurried step, she walked down to the residence of the physician, who had so gently and feelingly ministered to the sufferer. She found the doctor at home, and informed him of the sad event. Since his return, he had told his wife and daughter of the beautiful girl who was dying in the cottage up the street. He called them into his library, and Fanny, with tearful eyes and broken voice, repeated her narrative of the passing away of poor Jenny. The ladies promptly expressed their intention to visit the bereaved mother, and discharge the duties the occasion required. A carriage was called, in which the benevolent physician, his wife and daughter, and Fanny, proceeded to the house of Mrs. Kent. They were the kindest and tenderest of friends, and the sorrowing mother, grateful to them for their good offices, and grateful to God for sending them to her, was relieved of a great load of pain and anxiety. At a late hour they departed, with the promise to come again on the following day. Hour after hour Mrs. Kent and Fanny sat in the chamber of death, talking about the gentle one who had passed away and was at rest. It was nearly morning before Fanny, worn out by excitement and fatigue, could be prevailed upon to take the rest she needed. Mrs. Kent made a bed for her on the kitchen floor, and she slept for a few hours. When she awoke, her first thought was of Jenny, and all the events of the previous day and evening passed in review before her. Her soul had been sanctified by communion with the sainted spirit of her departed friend. On the day before, her current of being seemed suddenly to have stopped in its course, and then to have taken a new direction. Her thoughts, her hopes, her aspirations had all been changed. She had resolved to be good, so solemnly and truly resolved to be good, that she felt like a new creature. She prayed to the good father, who had been revealed to her by the dying girl, and from her prayers came a strength which was a new life to her soul. From her strong desire to be good, to be what Jenny had been, had grown up a new faith. In the forenoon came the wife and daughter of the good physician again upon the mission of mercy. They had requested the attendance of an undertaker, 
and assumed the whole charge of the funeral of jenny which was to take place on the third day after her death fanny had hardly thought of herself since the angel of death entered the house though she had been weighed down by a burden of guilt that did not embody itself in particular thoughts in her sincere penitence and in her firm and sacred resolve to be good and true she had found only a partial peace of mind she had not a doubt in regard to her future course she must return to woodville and submit to any punishment which her kind friends might impose upon her she was willing to suffer for what she had done she was even willing to be sent to her uncles in minnesota and this feeling of submission was the best evidence to herself of the reality of her repentance she was not willing to return to woodville till she had seen the mortal part of jenny laid away in its final resting-place but mr grant who was at hudson with his daughters might already have been informed of her wicked conduct and mr long was probably still engaged in the search for her there was a duty she owed to her friends which her awakened conscience would not permit her to neglect the family would be very anxious about her for wayward and wilful as she had been she felt that they still loved her procuring pen and paper she wrote a letter to mrs green informing her that she should return home on friday that she would submit to any punishment and endeavor to be good in the future she sealed the note and put it in the post office with a feeling that it was all she could do at present as an atonement for her faults if it was not all she could do it was an error of judgment not of the heart on thursday the form of jenny was placed in the coffin it was not a pauper's coffin it was a black walnut casket plain but rich selected by mrs porter the physician's lady who could not permit the form of one so beautiful to be enclosed in a less appropriate receptacle the choicest flowers lay upon her breast and a beautiful wreath and cross were placed upon the casket before the funeral services commenced the clergyman was a friend of dr porter and he was worthy to be the friend of so true a man the service was solemn and touching no word of hope and consolation was omitted because they stood in the humble abode of poverty and want he spoke of the beautiful life and the happy death of jenny and prayed that her parents might be comforted that the little brother might be blessed by her short life and that the devoted young friend who had so tenderly watched over the last hours of the departed might be sanctified by her holy ministrations the father living or dead wherever suffering or wherever battling against the foes of his country was remembered fanny wept as all in the house wept when the good man feelingly delineated the lovely character of her who was still so beautiful in her marble silence when he recalled those tender scenes on the evening of her death which had been faithfully described to him by fanny the casket was placed in the funeral car and followed by two carriages one of which contained mrs kent eddie and fanny and the other the family of dr porter to greenwood cemetery sadly the poor mother turned away from the resting-place of her earthly treasure and the little cortege returned to the house from which the light had gone out the last solemn sacred duty had been performed jenny had gone 
but her pure influence was still to live on and bless those who had never even known her when the little party reached the house dr porter after some remarks about the solemn scenes through which they had just passed inquired more particularly than he had been permitted to do before into the circumstances of the family he promised to procure for her the money due to her as a soldier's wife and to obtain some light employment for her mrs kent was very grateful to him for his kind interest in herself and in her lost one assuring him that she did not ask for charity and was willing to work hard for a support you have been a blessing to me fanny said mrs kent when the physician and his family had departed i am sure that god sent you here to save me from misery and despair what should i have done if you had not come i think i was sent for my own sake rather than for yours for i know that it has been a greater blessing to me than to you replied fanny oh that can't be it is so when i told jenny that i had been a very wicked girl i meant so i'm sure that one who has been so kind can't be very bad added mrs kent rather bewildered by the confession of her benefactor where did you say you lived fanny the wanderer had been obliged to invent a story in the beginning to account for her absence from home and the poor woman's heart had been too full of gratitude to permit any doubt to enter there i have deceived you mrs kent replied fanny bursting into tears i do not live in the city my home is twenty-five miles up the river but i did not mean to deceive poor jenny i wanted to tell her what a wicked deed i had done but she would not let me she was too good to think evil of any one and especially of you who have been so generous to us you know the paper she wrote and gave to me yes i know from that she believed i had done something very bad perhaps she did she told me how to be good the very sight of her made me feel how wicked i was i mean to be good then i am sure you will be i shall always think of jenny and the anchor she gave me when i am tempted to do wrong i feel that jenny has saved me and made me a new being i'm sure i hope so and i am glad you came here for your own sake as well as for mine but i can't believe that one who has been good to my dear lost one can be very bad replied mrs kent gloomily i am at least i was for i know i am ever so much better than i was when i came here i ran away from home ran away exclaimed mrs kent appalled at the words yes and i did even worse than that dear me i hope not i thought it was strange that a young lady like you should have so much money but my heart was so full that i didn't think much about it mrs kent i stole that money added fanny her face crimson with the blush of shame mercy on me i can't believe it it is true it was wrong of me to take the money added mrs kent actually trembling with apprehension at the thought i will pay it all back some time fanny i can work now i'm sure i wouldn't have taken the money if i had thought you did not come rightly by it fanny then told the whole story 
and described her feelings from the time she had first seen Mrs. Kent in front of the house. "'I am so sorry,' said the poor woman, wringing her hands as she thought of her own participation in the use of the stolen property. "'I would have rather been turned out of the house than be saved by such money.' "'Don't cry, Mrs. Kent. I am almost sorry I told you anything about it. I'm glad poor Jenny didn't know it. So am I. But I am sure she knew how guilty I had been, though she didn't know exactly what I had done. I think there is hope for you, Fanny. You must have a kind heart, or you couldn't have done what you did for Jenny. I'm sure I feel very grateful to you. Now you know me as I am, Mrs. Kent, but I tell you most solemnly that I mean to be good always after this. I am sorry for my wicked deeds, and I am willing to be punished for what I have done. I shall always bless poor Jenny for saving me from error and sin, if I am saved. What are you going to do, Fanny? I am going back to Woodville, to-morrow morning. I will give up all the money I have, confess my fault, and let them do with me as they think best. You can tell them I will pay back all the money you spent for me just as soon as I can. Mr. Grant is very rich, and he will not ask you to do that. He is very kind, too. But I must do it, and I shall have no peace till it is done, protested the poor woman. I'll tell you what I will do. I will give you a note for the money. Mrs. Kent was in earnest. She was sorely troubled by the fact that she had even innocently received any of the stolen money. In the evening she wrote the note which was made payable to Mr. Grant, and insisted that Fanny should take it. They talked of nothing but the guilt of the runaway, though rather of the means of making reparation for the wrong, than of the consequences of the wrong acts. Mrs. Kent was fully conceived that Fanny was sincerely penitent, that her intercourse with Jenny had ushered her into a new life. She was even willing to believe, before they retired that night, that it was all for the best, that he who brings good out of evil would bring a blessing out of the wrong which Fanny had done. The next morning the wanderer bade farewell to Mrs. Kent and took the train for Woodville. End of chapter 10 Recording by Scarlet, Louisiana